This podcast contains themes of suicide and may upset some listeners. If you're struggling with your mental health and need to talk now, call Lifeline anytime. They're available 24 hours, seven days a week. You know, I'd have this great big grin on me and I was dying on the inside. This paralysis of just not being able to do things that gave me pleasure. I hated the world, hated the farm, ultimately wanted to sell it. Everything that was going wrong in my life was somebody else's fault. A lot of men and women will say, I just don't feel right. Aussies love the bush, but sometimes the bloody bush doesn't love us back. I'm John Harper. Just a simple joker talking about why mental health is everybody's business and what to do if you think a mate is struggling. This podcast is a Room 3 production and brought to you by our mates at Gotcha for Life and the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network. In this podcast, you'll be hearing the lived experiences of everyday folk in rural and remote Australia. The language can be strong at times, and references of suicide may upset some people. So consider who's around when listening. The advice in this podcast is of a general nature, and is not an excuse for you not seeing your own GP or medical professional. Mate Helping Mate has plenty of links on our website of trusted service providers across the country. Head to matehelpingmate.org.au. Yeah, I remember not talking enough about how I was feeling before I hit the wall and um, was hospitalised. I remember just sort of battling without um, yeah, seeing the signs. Still, to this day, I sort of um, still battle with anxiety and yeah, depression, but yeah, you've learned to overcome it and learn to not let it stop you from doing things you want to do. Yeah, because, you know, having someone know that you're on medication is a real issue around stigma. But it's quite okay to sit there and have a gut full of grog on a Friday night. Um, that You'll never get judged on that. That's just a, a cultural thing that we do. And in the bush especially, you know, that's just what, what happens. Today we've got a young mate of mine here at the Outback Club, the farm. And uh, Phil is an inspirational bloke for me. He's had his battles, he's had some crisis, but he keeps getting up in the morning, he keeps making an effort, and he's actually helped other people. So not only has he improved his own life, he improves the people around him. He's a, well, you know, this is over the top for a for a farmer, but he's inspirational. So welcome, inspirational Phil Moraney to the farm. Oh, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks for having me here this morning. So, Phil, I know you take great pride in being Australian, and I know I've seen you at work. You're a bloody good shearer, but you have had your struggles. It has been tough. Now, I know you've had some crises, and that involves being confined, I suppose. How did you take to that the worst case scenario was i was hospitalized just for a few weeks and um yeah medicated just by professionals so once i was medicated just learned some strategies in hospital just to um look after yourself a lot better so from that i also just changed a few things in life well we'll take that a bit further but i've built the podcast people up fierce about inspirational phil maroney What's a bit of your life? How did you go? No, I had a good upbringing. Um, Mum and Dad sort of spoiled us like yeah, most kids and really blessed to have a, a good upbringing. Uh, Dad passed away when I was about eight and my, me and my two sisters grew up with Mum and um, everything was all good. Well, losing your dad early is a challenge. I mean, I, I think 
you're selling yourself short. But as we go through life, in my teenage years, I struggled a little bit with depression. Early on in um, high school, was um, just battling, sort of sometimes fitting in. And but sport was a big part of growing up, so we played a lot of different sports and had a lot of good friends through through sports, which was good. So just when I left school, I took to travel a little bit and yeah, worked around the countryside a little bit with shearing, and also worked around the world with shearing, and that's where I experienced a fair bit of homesickness. And it might have been a little bit of depression as well. I think when you're so far away from home and I had to learn different strategies just to um, cope. And if only I knew what I knew now sort of thing about coping strategies and mental health, I'd, I think I would have enjoyed my time away a lot more. And yeah, it was um, during the drought. I blamed the drought a little bit also for how I felt. I just took to travel and thought the feelings would subside after a while away. What was it like in those days? What were the signs, I suppose. Um, yeah, just simple tasks like doing the shopping, uh, talking to people, even friends and family sometimes seemed overwhelming. Anxiety was just not feeling at ease sometimes. And, yeah, so I didn't understand it at the time. But, yeah, now I understand that simple things like just a little bit of, you know, breathing exercises, deep breathing, just having a yarn to a good mate sometimes just about life and different things can, yeah, help out. And then also by trying to help others can, yeah, help yourself dramatically. So, um, yeah. So in them days, I suppose, when you say like shopping and that, so instead of, say, going to have a beer with your mates and buying a, a slab and going home, you'd duck the, the beer with the mates and, what, go via the drive-in or you wouldn't bother about getting the grog at all? Yeah, sometimes withdraw from friends and going out sort of thing because you um, were sort of not just not feeling real real flash at all sort of thing so you um, might sort of drink at home. So I mean I suppose that anxiety driven stuff is probably reasons why there's the classic symptom of isolation you know when you're going down you tend to isolate yourself. Yeah that's right yeah yep no you just sort of keep to yourself and still to the this day I sort of um still battle with anxiety and yeah depression but yeah you've learned to overcome it and learn to not let it stop you from doing things you want to do so and I suppose you've come to accept that sometimes you are just flat but you've probably got a bit of faith in your ability to know that okay if I'm flat one day and and maybe stay you know I don't know in bed a bit longer that you're strong enough that you that you know you're going to get out the next day and go off to work whatever yeah, I, I rely on just having a bit of a chat to someone to start off with, the two T's I might call it, the talk and then take action. So yeah, have a talk to someone initially and then take action, which just gets the ball rolling sort of thing. So um, talking, you can talk to just ring up your family member or ring up a friend for a chat and you're actually helping them out as well because they enjoy the phone ringing and uh, most, of, most of the time anyway. Um, and, um, <laughs> yeah, you can have a bit of a chat to them and otherwise there's phone lines just to unhook yourself from those uneasy feelings. You might be laying there in bed and um, just need to unhook yourself from those ill feelings of feeling sick and or feeling worried. We're, you know, we're born warriors, but we are also born warriors, I believe. So, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, All right, that's we, a good one. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I think we've just got to do whatever we can, whatever works, as they say. And um, yeah, I'm interested in your two T's, and the first one being talk. And I mean to do that when you're flat and 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 you don't want to get out of bed. I mean that involves reaching out, doesn't it? You've got to reach out, get your phone, dial in the number, and you're reaching out. 
to mate. Yeah, it might just be to just to talk about something, talk about something that's happened um, or something that um, needs tending to on the farm sort of thing. And then um, once you have a bit of a yarn, you can take action. So you might have to um, just get up and do a bit of housework or... Or just yeah, get up and yeah, start the day. I find that interesting. My um, family realised that when I'm stressed, I'm in danger of going down. So my family and even my granddaughters will ring me up, and they never ask me. They never ask me directly, "How am I? Am I flat or down?" They always talk about even my daughters and my wife talk about what they're doing. Just goes through their routine. And by the end of that talk, I feel better. It's like life's normal. So I'm normal, I suppose. Not that I'm abnormal. Well, I hate to think so. Don't look at me like that, Phil. (laughs) But, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. Talking little shit stuff, I suppose, seems to G up again. Yeah, I reckon, yep. Just a good conversation can be as good as um, anything sometimes. So who do you call? I suppose you have different levels you go to, just like me. I mean, sometimes I'm just doughy, and I know that if I go outside, I pick up. There's other times that I'm more than doughy. I'm bloody flat. So then I need to talk to somebody a bit more serious or have a serious talk with, say, my wife. And then there's other times where I know I'm teetering on the brink so then I'll talk with somebody like um, your social counsellor and just reinforce the strategies. How do you go about What's your – have you got a structure in who you seek help or your strategies or you just hit speed dial? I don't know. Yeah, sometimes if it's um, – uh, if I'm really feeling anxious and really sort of um, down, I might just sort of, you know, go for a professional sort of thing. So you can ring Men's Line or you can ring Beyond Blue um, just for a general chat and um, they can sort of really offer some professional so you advice. you have no qualms about that? No, I, I find if it's just a five-minute chat, it just seems to, yeah, help out. Isn't that amazing? I just think it's great you don't have any issues with that, but wouldn't it be great if others out there – would recognise that that same support are out there. Like you, Phil, most of my chats, you know, what I probably describe as low level is that I normally reach out via the phone when I think I'm going to go down. So then we can chat about small stuff and and not be direct. Is Do you ever talk blunt to your mates or, or people or... Do you just put it straight out there, or how do you go about it? Most of the time, not 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 too blunt at all, John. I just um yeah, with my family, I just mostly just talk to them just about it. What everyday happenings are uh, sort of happening and going on, sort of thing. And I tend to find what works is I just leave the if I need sort of um talk to someone about how I'm actually feeling and how I'm actually going to other people that are actually mental health sort of professionals or people like yourself that are mental health advocates and. Yeah, there's other people that you might just enjoy a good good yarn with, so you'll ring them and just to have a general general chat. You're a subtle bastard because I know different times you've rang me, Phil, when you've heard that I've struggled. So I've had some physical health problems. So bloody Phil here has heard that I'm I'm struggling a little bit physically with my physical health, and I know he's rang me, and somewhere along the line he probably just says something oh, you sound a bit flat or, you know, how are you doing? And we happen to have a bit of a mateship going. So, you know, I don't mind too much. When he asks me that, I can often say, look, no, I'm struggling physically, but 
I'm all right mentally. And then other times I can just say, look, I'm a, I'm a bit flat, you know, and then we might have a bit of a discussion. You're smart enough to know that if it's, say, a, a low-level slump, you deal with it with mates. If you've got this inkling that it's that it could go a bit deeper, then you're tapping more professional sort of people. Yeah, that's right. If um, there's someone we're sort of worried about, they might have a a friend that you're a little bit worried about. We can use sort of um, a counsellor um, that we know of nearby, or refer them to you know a hospital nearby or something sort of thing. Well, moving on, I suppose in reaching out, in trying to obtain. That happiness, as we said at different times, you've hit a crisis. I've been impressed with some of your simple strategies to keep you up, but some of your major strategies, what, you had to hit the wall first before you acknowledged the problem? Yeah, I remember not talking enough about how I was feeling before I hit the wall and um, was hospitalised. I remember just sort of battling without um, yeah, seeing the signs. I mean, it should be obvious to you people out there how tough it is for Phil. And it's tough for any of us when we hit the wall. I suppose the joy is of how we get out of there. But when we're in that crisis, it's as tough as, and our brain is telling us these wrong messages. Our, our perception becomes so warped that we've got to be able to use all different means of getting good advice, I suppose you might say. You know, how do you get your top-line professional advice now? How how do you access stuff? Um, well, yeah, I've used a combination of combination therapy, I suppose you could call it. So I uh, see a psychiatrist, which is via video link. He's um, in Sydney, so I just see him at the local medical centre. It's a, once every sort of three or four months, I might just talk to the psychiatrist. So what do you tell him? Just talk about just general what's been happening and how things are going sort of thing. And um, yeah, if things are a little bit rocky, um, yeah, we might just talk about that. It's it's a fine line they have to, to sort of play. They um, might adjust your medication a little bit, but um, the main thing is is that you realise that you you've just got to stay on the medication if you if you need it. And um, although it's got many you know side effects that uh, aren't real pleasant sometimes, um, you've got to realise that those side effects um, you know you've just got to bear with them because um, the medication is there to help you get better. And um, as as you say john um medication you can just look at them look at it like training wheels on a bike you know you can have them just for a while and then get rid of them eventually and then you can be um yeah back up on your on your on your own sort of thing um once you you recover or life might be that tough that you're stuck to riding a trike so so for the psychiatrist to fiddle with your medication you obviously got to be honest in your messaging to him. You've got to be able to tell him when it doesn't seem to be working for you. But then you've probably also got to, don't you have to tell him when it's good, when it's right, and perhaps you just leave things as they are? Yeah, yep. So I've been, um, yeah, sort of just on the same level for a few years now, and we've just sort of left things as they are because things are going well. So originally I was on a little bit of a higher dose and that it was slowing me down at work, and that was one of the side effects, and it was a real challenge to get to where I am now. But um, thank God I've just, yeah, stayed with it, and, um, yeah, things are a lot better now than they were. Are you open with him, or does he have to prize it out of you? Uh, no, fairly open with him. Um, yeah, it is a little bit daunting. I'd probably prefer face-to-face, but um, the, the shortage of psychiatrists in the bush, um, this is just the way I do it. So, um, yeah, it's... um, And you'd, and you'd probably access some likely, but you didn't connect with them? 
You seem to connect with this, Jacker. Yeah, just like any counsellor you go to or any person you might talk to, any um, everyone's different. So you might just click with others a lot better than others. So, um, yeah, you've just got to keep on trying different professionals or different counsellors and then you'll eventually get to one that you uh, click with. And, and, then- that, and that's the hardest thing, isn't it, is that if you don't click with one, you fall into the old trap that it's me. I'm the weak link here. It's 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 my fault. Yeah, you sort of feel a little bit disheartened, I guess. Yeah, after a while, you sort of work out a typical one is when you ring up Beyond Blue. Like I've, as I said, mentioned before, that I, I sometimes use Beyond Blue just to a bit of a brief chat. And as I said before, you unhook yourself from those ill feelings. You feel better after the conversation, and then you move on to doing the next task, which might be going to move a mob of sheep down the paddock. Yeah. <laughs> mob of sheep. Yeah, yeah. great. Always comes back to work in the bush, buddy. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Let, let's take the medication angle just a little bit further. You know, I was extremely lucky. I only had to take medications for a short period of time. My depression resulted in I believed I had cancer and, and the reason was that all my joints become squeaky and dry. So my brain actually had to dry it out and the medication was about fixing that up. But... How do you see medication? I never liked it, and as soon as I could, I got off the bloody stuff. But, you know, medication has its pluses and minuses. What's the plus side? The antidepressants that I'm on at the moment, John, they just give a little bit of a lift um, to mood. So that's just one of the positives out of an antidepressant. Um, another medication that you can be on is an antipsychotic, which also just levels the mood. I was diagnosed with bipolar, so it's the combination of an antidepressant and an antipsychotic just helps eliminate the highs and the lows that one may experience. To, to flatten it out, but flatten out the ups and downs in life so that you can still, so that it's on the enjoyable side, not the misery side. Yeah, so if someone's experiencing um, extreme highs, you know, and then extreme lows in life, um, yeah, just the medication will will assist with a healthy lifestyle, obviously, and yeah. And, and that's the good point of medication, and most of us, forget that and we and we run scared because of the symptoms so some of the symptoms of the medication are what weight weight gain i've sort of felt a little bit slowed down i tried to explain to my psychiatrist that yeah i'm trying my best at work you know and um i've just seemed to be um yeah struggling to be yeah just a little bit doughy i suppose you could say john and yeah just not quite um as productive as i want to be and did he understand that so this joke is in the city? Yeah, he understood it and we reduced medication to a, a lower level, which was good. So, Should people be afraid of, of going on meds, Phil? What's your opinion? The medication is definitely worth taking if, you know, the um, as opposed to, you know, what could be a, a crisis that you might be heading towards. So I suppose the poor image we've got for mental health increases the stigma. So do you think that's what causes the stigma for mental health? What causes people not to reach out because they're fearful of this long-held image of mental health is straitjackets and looney tunes. And I know a lot of young blokes are concerned about their image. They're, they're worried that people see them as weak and that. And I mean, what I get, not amazed by, but I'm impressed by that at different times when I'm walking in town in your community that different people will often comment and say, how's young Phil going? You know, and then they'll talk about how good a shearer you were. 
Well, you are, not were, you are, and a good bloke. And actually, even just lately, I've heard that you've stepped up and you're making their town a better place with your involvement with Taekwondo. It was a call out for someone that just could um, train up and a bit of an instructor with Taekwondo. So I just started travelling to a nearby town you need to train up for it. So um, it makes you feel good that you're... Um, yeah, and feeling good is better than feeling like shit 24-7. Yeah, I reckon, yep. No, that's right, yep. Well, Phil... You know, I know it's always awkward to talk about yourself for others. It makes you very vulnerable. But, mate, I really appreciate your involvement in the podcast. I really appreciate some of the strategies and the ways that you've got through life. And I'm pretty sure that your lived experience will make a positive difference for other people. So thank you, Phil, for coming to the farm. And thanks for giving us your story. Yeah, no worries, John. No, it's it's fine. I just, um, from being bitten, yeah, so hard and have been through a crisis, so, yeah, I've got to drive to help others, so thanks for having me. This podcast has been made possible by our mates at the Gotcha for Life Foundation. Gotcha for Life was established to reverse the tide of declining mental health and to reduce suicide rates by taking action and having a positive outcome on mental health. Gotcha for Life enables communities to build mental fitness, social connection, emotional muscle and resilience. Head to gotchaforlife.org to catch events, get involved or donate. This podcast has also been brought to you by the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network, also known as the MPHN for short. The MPHN's Empowering Our Communities grant is a government's way of walking the talk, demonstrating their commitment to supporting families and communities living with the impacts of drought, with a focus on mental health and wellbeing. Righto, here we go. Sitting opposite me is a man I'd like you all to meet. I've been privileged to know Dave Honeyset for a good while, and probably the main reason that... Uh, I like him is that he's uglier than me, which is works well. I like to think I'm good looking and smart, but uh, he's definitely full of wisdom. And just to show how important this is to you, you drove how long was it from Dubbo to get to here? <laughs> oh, it's, it's just a quick four hours down the quick road. Quick four hours and a four hours back to uh, give us his take on some of these mental health issues, some strategies and pathways that he's been involved with in regards to his work with the Royal Flying Doctors over the years. So welcome, Dave. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate the invite and very glad to be here. Yep, and we're going to snow these listeners with our wisdom. Let's hope so. With Phil, there were some interesting points that he raised and some of the difficult things for people is that ultimately it's up to them to make the decision and to do the hard work. Yeah. Well, one of the things that jumped out at me when I was listening to Phil is his ability to um, have some self-awareness, some insight into his illness uh, by using his own coping mechanisms, the two T's, I, I think he called them the, the talk and the take action, um, which I think was really important. First of all, just being able to talk to people. Uh, when you feel the need, pick up that phone, give them a call or take take a call. It's just as important, you know. And the take action, make sure you, you move forward and, and do what you need to do to become well or, or maintain a level of wellness. And that's probably the general theme in his talk today was this need to be able to reach out. Being brave enough to take that first step to reach out for help is really, really important. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. And then once you are willing to do that, having access is the next step. 
He talks how he hit the wall, basically had a crisis, and then his family got him help. And he's probably, well, he hasn't probably, he has. He's developed his lifestyle so that now he can talk about his issues, intervene early when he's starting to go down. Is that what you find in your work out there? Does nothing happen with your people until there's a crisis or are people reaching out before they hit the wall? It, look, it's it's a bit of everything really, John, to be honest. Like it's sometimes we get people at crisis point. Other times we get people where the GP might have said, listen, I can see an issue here. You need to get off and see these guys and have a yarn and see what best way forward. So it's a bit of, a bit of everything. You know, it's always good to catch someone before they hit that crisis point though. A lot of us are quite anxious. We have this subconscious feeling that we don't really have a future in the bush, that it's, our communities are slowly dying and all this, and we're quite anxious, I suppose, about the direction of where we're going, what's happening. We didn't seem to have that in the old days, did we? We kind of just soldiered on. Well, I can tell you from my experience from travelling around the west of New South Wales that the towns are dwindling. I mean, that familiarity when you go into a town of having, you know, the old shops there, all you know, you say good day to everyone. It's all changed. Like all, a lot of the towns, they're sort of dwindling down. They're winding down. It's really important that relationships are built and sustained. One of the things I've learnt lately is that they, they, when I say they, it's the experts believe that social connectedness is a foundation of resilience. Mm. That if you're got a good sense of belonging to a family, of a community, or of of mates then there's probably a better chance of you overcoming adversity. Mm. So uh, Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I look at from my own personal experience, um, I surround myself with, with people that, you know, make me feel good about myself and uh, similar sort of, you know, backgrounds. And yeah. Well, I don't think Phil spelled it out in his story so much, but I think that's one of the things that he found. He's got tangled up with a self help group Open Minds Brighter Futures in Tamora and also with Taekwondo and that's about positive people. Mm. I do believe over a period of time, especially in the bush, we've been sucked down by negativity Yeah, and it's really important regardless whether you've got a mental health issue or not that we connect, positive people connect and support each other. Yeah, well, Phil, Phil will walk away from, you know, whatever he does you know, in a, in, in a broader sense that um, if he's doing work in the community to build up the Taekwondo, it's only ever going to be a positive thing for his mental health. It's only ever going to help him. You know, if, if it's helping him, it's helping other people. So connecting with positive people are great. And we see that. What frustrates me sometimes is that people do not realise that there are structures, there's strategies that they're actually living that work that will support and improve their mental well-being. You know, men's sheds are classic, especially in regards to older men. But going further than that, I mean, young blokes should understand that being involved with football or um, the motorbike club or going fishing, all of these are ways of mixing with positive people, with people enjoying what they have, appreciating what you've got. That's really what it comes back to. I mean, we all aim to be happy, but really we need to be able to accept or appreciate what we do have. So I suppose, Dave, the, the challenge for us is, isn't it, the, the first symptom, I suppose, of poor mental health, of depression, even of anxiety, is isolation and withdrawal which then allows negative thoughts 
to overwhelm you. So how do we get people to overcome that first symptom? People are afraid or are resistant to break what I would say is their culture, like what they typically do every week from week to week. And that is, um, you know, they need to learn new habits of how to break the mould to improve them, improve their mental health. So, But you just raised something that I find quite interesting. you really got to think back to your previous years. Who were your mates? Who were you connected with? And, and, and reach out. So once again, there's the theme, reach out. Yeah. Isn't it? It's really important one way or the other. So if you've got a mate who you know is sitting on that bloody tractor and can't help himself, you've got to reach out to him. But by the same token, if you're that poor bastard on the tractor, you've got to think back to when you had good habits. Yeah, I think it's it's really important that you have that social interaction with, with friends and neighbours. Look, it's, it could be as simple as just saying, righty, I'm going to pick two mates I used to always knock around with, give them a ring and say, listen, every four weeks we're going to get together and have a barbecue and we'll just swap locations and bloody commit to it. Like, don't, don't oh, I won't worry about it, I'm too busy. Make the time because... The work will still be there when you get back. That's never going to change. No. As a farmer, you know that. As a father raising five kids, working two jobs, I know that. Like, it'll always be there. You know what I mean? So you just got to make it, make the decision and commit to it. Now, it's not going to work for everybody. Some people logistically just can't do that. But like Phil said, pick up the phone and talk. Have a yarn to someone. You know, keep that communication channel going. It, it seems to me, as you know, it's kind of highlighting and just talking with you is that the challenge is, I think, is this loss of control in our lives. I'm sure when we're young and we're sent to school, somebody else is controlling us, but there's routine there. And, and it, it seems to me that if you've got positive routine, that's great. And then the other thing that, that starts challenging our good routines is change. The world's changing. You know, and that well, makes is, us yeah, anxious and, and whatever. And I'm starting to believe that maybe that's behind a lot of this is that we're not dealing with change, the way society, our communities, whatever, where we're going. You know, I think anxiety is something that um, everyone experiences and has. And in some respects, it can be, you know, a tool that you can use to improve your situation because it makes you more aware of what you have to do and the urgency levels if you have a good understanding and, and coping mechanism. But if you don't, if you're not really good at dealing with anxiety and, and knowing how to cope with it, it can actually become quite crippling and debilitating. So you need to try and have a bit of an understanding of when you're becoming anxious and the effects of that anxiousness and how far it'll go. Um, you know, where Where's your stop point before you need to make contact with someone and say, listen, I'm feeling pretty bloody, bloody ordinary at the moment and you're heading down the pathway of depression, you need to know um, how to cope, how to manage your anxiety. I think it's really important. So would anxiety in layman's term be something like the loss of your confidence, your self-confidence in dealing with a situation or, oh, or people? can have a, have a lot to do with it. I mean, it just depends. Look, situations are different all the time and anxiety will creep up on you. Uh, oh, there's a fantastic ad where, you know, it sounds like a second person in your head telling you that you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. Like when you get to that stage, you need you need to, you know, probably talk about it. But for, for me, for example, it's, um, you know, become a bit jittery and a bit short-tempered and things like that. People, you know, need to recognise what anxiety can do to you, you know, like... Um, you know, you might be on the tractor and you can't stop thinking about, you know, this and that and you're gripping the steering wheel and you're going white knuckles and you're, you know, kicking the dog and carrying on like that. Well, you know, your, your anxiety is building. It's when you need to sort of 
reassess the situation. And Phil, in his story, talks how, well, I can see how he deals with his anxiety. He said early on in the piece he couldn't do the shopping and he wasn't keen to get involved with family functions and stuff. He was getting anxious and 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 I can see that he's probably anxious in dealing with professional people, so he phones. And that's one of his positive strategies of dealing with his anxiety. That's right. It's a good management tool. He knows his limitations. He knows what triggers anxiety. You know, having to be face-to-face with someone is a high point for him. So by calling, he reduces the anxiety level. He just has that gut feeling is what he needs to do um, to, to reduce feeling unwell or, you know, becoming anxious. But that's what it is. It's, it's managing his anxiety. What's a simple strategy you may use in regards to reduce your anxiety? Uh, probably the the best way for me, well, there's a couple actually, but the best way for me to um, reduce my anxiety is um, is to share share my stress and share my anxiety with uh, my wife. Like I'll come home and sit there in the poor bugger. She'll, she'll uh, have to listen to what I've got to say and what's been bothering me and I'll just unpack it and, um, you know, and, and she, she'll sort of look at me and say, oh, well, you're done. And I'll say, yeah, it's, that's, that's good. I just need to get that off my chest and then I can go and doing the next job around home. So for me, it's just, you know, unloading and and sharing with someone who understands what I need uh, and understands what I'm trying to get across the table without judging me. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's just being able to share that burden with someone, uh, release that stress. Uh, Other other people, you know, go to groups groups with their mates, um, go to the pub, have a beer, all that sort of stuff. So uh, other times I'll be driving along the highway and just have a, have a good old argument with with someone in my head, you know, when I'm driving along, get out of the car, I'm fully refreshed, argument's done, leave it in the car, it's all finished, you know, reduce the anxiety that way. It's just all sorts of different coping mechanisms. Well, it must be interesting to watch you when you're in the car by yourself arguing. I do know other people that use grog. Mm. And this is the challenge, isn't it, for us, is that grog, alcohol is often linked with mental illnesses, but there's a balance there. And I mean... To a certain extent, we find or they talk about how people use alcohol to self-medicate. And yet, in the bush, we're happy to use grog, but we're really scared of using medication as prescribed to take the edge off things. Yeah, because, you know, having someone know that you're on medication is a real issue around stigma. But it's quite okay to sit there and have a gut full of grog on a Friday night. Um, that you'll never get judged on that. That's just a, a cultural thing that we do, and in the bush especially, you know, that's just what what happens. I'm a farmer and ex-shearer and that, and Phil's a bloody good shearer. So, I mean, he can hold his head up in any, yeah. any shed. He can knock numbers out and he does a bloody good job. So, I mean, you know, sometimes it's bewildering when you're standing off to the side as to why a bloke struggles, you know, and... and yeah, I suppose that's the challenge and, and I suppose that's what Phil, the, the individual, if you're sitting home in the tractor, is that you often have this perception that everybody thinks you're less than you are and the reality is that people probably don't hold that view that you think they have. And, you know, I think a lot of people walk around with the idea that um, they're either built up in the community, like they're, they're seen up here, and then behind closed doors, their self-esteem is right down here, like much lower. So the thought of reaching out for help terrifies them because they think, hang on a minute, everyone thinks I'm bloody bulletproof. 
and I'm not, you know. So what am I going to do? I'll, yeah. ju- I'll just shut up, sit down and say nothing and do nothing. And that's the beauty of the mate helping mate philosophy is that I push that philosophy because if you're a decent mate, my experience has been a good mate will do anything to help another if he thinks he's struggling, you know, whereas you can't help yourself but you'll tend to do some bloody stupid things to help a mate if you think he's struggling and that's the challenge for us in the bush is that there's less and less people out there. We've got to maintain this sense of mateship, this sense of community. One of the other aspects of Phil's story was his acceptance of the need for medication and it's like, Uh, putting a set of training wheels on a bike for kids when they're learning is that the ultimate A of trainer wheels and of medication is to gradually lift them up and pee them off, you know, is that they're not long-term. When we first initially start anything, training wheels or whatever, the ultimate or medication is to get rid of them. But the fact life is not fair comes into it is that there's some jokers who will never ride a two-wheel bike. So then we might have to look at options. They might have to be on trikes. So you may have to be on medication long-term. And I'm pretty sure that's what goes through most people who are prescribing medication to you out there who may need it go through. I mean, one of the things that I see is that often us, the ordinary joker that's getting prescribed, we just don't see that. We just think... We're condemned to a life of medication, and that means we're weak. Yeah. So we're not going to deal with it. Bugger it. Yeah, I know. I think um, there's a there's an element of um, people out there that are probably always going to be one at one stage of that analogy, um, and constantly be there and need the trike throughout their entire life. Sometimes I'll have be on a normal bike. Sometimes I'll need the training wheels. Sometimes I'll never get off the training wheels. So, you know, when providing services, you will often see repeat people come back through the door, and that's perfectly okay. There's no rhyme or reason or written rule anywhere to say that you can't keep coming back for help. You you will give you your help, you will get services that will provide services and help, and then, you know, a few years down the track, you might hit another speed hump. And that's perfectly okay. There's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So I suppose that really highlights the need for people to think outside of the box, that there's not one fixed, narrow pathway to good mental well-being. There's a myriad of pathways. It depends on the individual. It depends on the trust, the confidence you have in the people who are helping you to determine what that pathway is. Over the course of time, I hear some people ask, is distance a reason not to get help? No, it's no excuse at all. Like, um, it's certainly, it's, it's a big factor it's a, it, in like, um, it's a hindrance to particularly farming communities and remote communities. Um, but there are plenty of options out there, plenty of services that are available that you can contact. You know, Black Dog and all that sort of thing. If you've got internet connection, you're you're automatically opened up to hundreds of different uh, sites that you can go to to get information or just read inspirational stories or, you know, touch base with someone or pick up the phone and ring a friend. Um, no, I, I think that there are services out there. Um, you just need to have a bloody good look. 
people have this perception, oh, there's no one here to help or no one to talk to. And in fact, you know, it's just it's just finding them. Like it's just some people don't want to look and maybe it's an excuse to not get help because they think, oh, no, no one's here. I'm not going to bother looking. But in fact, if it's not immediate and face-to-face contact and help, it's most certainly over the phone or over the internet. So there is plenty of options available. Do you think it's an excuse? I mean, one of the things that I picked up lately was that they believe that most people don't deal with mental health issues because they miss the signs. So that's probably more people that are carers or partners of somebody, that they miss the signs, they don't see them, they're not aware. They dismiss them. They think that they're not as bad as they were. So it might be that somebody's, uh, a young fellow might have another broken relationship, but because he's broke up with about four or five girls beforehand, they think, oh, well, you get over that. But that happens to be the one. Or they avoid it because of it being messy or time-consuming or or whatever else. So a lot of people, perhaps if you're struggling yourself, you avoid trying to find services and that because you know it's going to be time-consuming, it's going to be annoying, it's going to be awkward, frustrating. I'm sure if we had asked Phil, he would have said all of the above. Yeah. You know, there'd be times where he just thought, bloody hell, this is all too much. I think the biggest problem with most people is that they just don't, sometimes they don't recognise how much help there is around them. I don't think they recognise some of the people in their lives are really capable of of being a part of their... And who would they be? They could be your neighbour. They could be, you know, they could be uh, a family member uh, in another town. You just need to pick the phone up. They could be your GP that you don't want to go and see in case you find something else wrong with you. It could be a whole myriad of other people. But I think people uh, just need to have a good hard think about who is around them and who can they reach out to uh, and that they're comfortable with. And often we do know people that have had lived experience... And often they're pretty damn good ones to be getting some mm. base strategies of moving forward. I mean, I've just had bladder cancer, so I've got a bag on. And it's interesting that a bloke in Stock and Bingle, so around here, it's only 200 people in there, he's got a bag. Well, he pulled me up one day and just said, if I ever needed some help or advice, was I getting itchy around the stoma yeah. thing, that he's got some suggestions. So it's interesting he was prepared to reach out to give me a hand, yeah. and if I was prepared to listen, there was a positive way forward. You'd be surprised who has walked the same mile you've walked. If you don't want to pick up the phone to have to ring a doctor, ring up a mate or someone who's you know you know has been down that pathway. Share share your story, and I find you find if you unload your story, you, you know, reduce your burden significantly. Yes, yeah, so thank you very much, Dave for coming to the farm. I don't envy you your drive back to Dubbo. But anyway, thanks again, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome, John. It's been a real pleasure to come down and have a look around the farm. So thanks very much. If you feel you need help, don't be afraid to reach out to Lifeline on 13 24-7. And don't lose hope. Keep talking. In finishing, a reminder that this podcast featured general information only. And we recommend that you get independent advice from a qualified professional like your GP. There's plenty of links on the Mate Helping Mate website as well, so you can contact service providers across the country. Head to matehelpingmate.org.au. This podcast was a Room 3 production and brought to you by our mates at Gotcha for Life and the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network.
We'd also like to thank Riverina Bluebell and David Post at Rock or Rural Outreach Counselling for their support. You can find out more about these organisations and the great work that they do on our Mate Helping Mate website. Other episodes of this podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio by searching for Mate Helping Mate and hitting subscribe. If you've liked what you've heard, make sure you leave a rating to make it easier for others to find us. You can also head to the Mate Helping Mate website and listen there. And better yet, you can share those links with your friends and family to start a conversation about mental health in the bush. This podcast was produced by Aaron Johnson, Kayla Robertson and AJ Clifford for Room 3, a production company that works with not-for-profits and social enterprise across Australia. Today, we want to thank David Honeyset from the Royal Flying Doctor Service for travelling all the hours down to the farm and sharing his experiences and his story, and also Phil Moroni for the guts it takes for him to stand up, tell it straight, and talk about his journey so far. And finally, we've got to thank the man himself, John Harper, for all the years he's travelled this country, tirelessly working to improve mental health in rural and remote Australia. And there's also Mitch for all of her support for John throughout the years and her hospitality to our crew and all the guests who have come out to the farm during this time. Recorded and edited by AJ Clifford. Original music by Southwark Sounds and stock by Soundstripe. Thank you for listening, hoping you can move forward, and we hope this makes a difference.